All right, I gotta know. Yes, I'm about to activate it. No, 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 not that. What the hell does Cree mean? Well, actually, it means a lot of things. Um, loosely translated, it means uh, attention, listen up, concentrate. You who? Yes, in a manner of speaking. Huh. Okay. Here goes. Yoo-hoo, podcasters. It is good to be back. I've had a break, though, of course, you guys won't have noticed the break, but for me, it's been like uh, three weeks. Um, And part of my delay was that I really just hate this episode so much. It's called Singularity. Oh, by the way, welcome to the Cree Yoo-hoo podcast. My name is Andrew, but you can call me Cassandra. And anyway, yeah, so I hate this episode a lot. It's really, really boring and drawn out and kill me now. (laughs) So let's jump right into it. The episode begins. We open with the, uh, the old storage rags and cloths and everything packed away on the gate with that st- stock footage from the very first episode. Uh, Daniel's chatting about a black hole, and there's techno babble from Sam to set up why we're going to a planet. Who cares? O'Neill drops this bomb about an accretion disk, and I think this might be the last intelligent thing he says in the entire run of the Stargate series. Because <laughs> they still had that last little... Uh, rung to cling on to about him being an astronomer, an amateur astronomer, if nothing else. Anyway, we go to this planet. Welcome to Hanka, SG-7, John Smith, commanding officer, Project 169, it all reads on the sign. I don't know if this means they've been to 169 planets, or maybe the projects include projects on Earth, so it's not the 169th off-world mission. Whatever. (laughs) We briefly meet SG-7 in this one, but of course we don't really, because they're dead. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. But anyway, we're walking around, we find collapsed people, and they're plagued, so we go to Mop 4, which means put on your mask. Does that mean, like, mop the floor? I'm not quite sure what he says there. It's a, some kind of military code for put on your goddamn mask. Anyway, yes, so SG-7 are dead in the barracks. Now, are they red shirts? I considered this... And I thought, well, actually, no. Because we didn't get to meet them. They didn't die in some kind of high-stakes, dangerous thing. They were just dead already, and we never knew their names or anything like that. And if I was going to count them, I would have to count the... uh, Where is it? 1,432 other dead people on that planet that also died from the plague (laughs) that they mentioned later. And that would be ridiculous. So, yeah, they don't count as red shirts. Sorry about that. We're settling that right now. Now, everyone on the planet is dead. Over a thousand. Uh, so it's time to call in the uh, decontamination squad, and they're checking everybody out, and Daniel sneezes, hardy, hardy, har. It's because of allergies, and I keep saying, is this the last time we see Daniel sneezing, the last time they bring in that throwback to the film? But maybe there is more. I keep thinking it's, it's done, but then there's more allergies, right? Yeah. So, they go tagging the bodies, and 
Tilk is not in his suit because, of course, he's got the symbiote that protects him. And they're talking about the local mythology. Blah, blah, blah. Who cares? Yes. Doom will come when the eclipse is upon us and all of that. Little Hand reaches out from the bushes and grabs the tag on the dead body and they can't get the little person to come out. They send Tilkin to go in and smile and <laughs> bring her out. It's a little girl, yay. We uh, check her out on the lab on this planet still. And now begins the mothering from Sam. I've mentioned this before. It's my pet peeve. It makes me really angry. It makes me completely tune out when female leads are just completely used by the screenwriters to just be whatever the story needs. If the story needs someone to look after this little girl, you better believe it's this strong female character who was all about kicking ass and pulling out of an inverted negative 4G dive or whatever in the first episode. And now she's just a blubbering mess because reasons. Also, my second gripe is that why is it Sam and not Fraser when Fraser is the one who adopts her? Wouldn't that make more goddamn sense? <laughs> so, we're talking about the element Naquita that's in her blood, and this is the first time we call it Naquita. Here we go. Why don't you just lay down and rest for a while, okay? Boop! <laughs> What can't be, Dr. Fraser? No, she's not. Well, what's wrong then? There are traces of the element the Stargate is made of in her blood. Naquita? Yeah. Now, it's possible that's the reason she was... Naquita? Why, we've had a name for that all along. It's not taken us to the episode, was it, one, two, three, like 15 or whatever? <laughs> Naquita? Why, yes. Funny you should bring that up. Okay, so, there it is. Just ramming that in our faces, the establishment of the name. I'm so bored by this episode. This is really a mission. It's been ten minutes and nothing interesting has happened. Okay, force myself to read the notes, go on. The show must go on. Someone needs to stay for just a little bit longer and everyone else goes back. So Sam is obviously the one who's going to take Cassie back. So O'Neill and Teal get to stay behind and look after the telescope. Uh, at this point, we don't know that Cassie can speak at all, and I was—I would be so hoping that, like, oh, okay, finally, a planet where they don't speak English. <laughs> but, of course, that's too much to hope for. Naturally, this planet, like all others, speak English. It's just that she's choosing not to speak right now. Anyway, there's a push and swell on the end of that scene. So there's a point, and it's the first point of the episode. Then there's another point immediately after, because there's an establishing shot of Cheyenne Mountain with the guards, and there's a briefing, and we hear that, for, yeah, the 1,432 people died, so we get the feeling this episode is like a plague episode, if we can categorize it thusly. But, of course, that's not really what the episode is. The whole episode is a Trojan horse, and becomes a Trojan horse episode about this Trojan horse who gets sent through the gate to Earth. We find that out soon. Yeah, so they're trying to break through to Cassie, and she's not even named Cassie in this episode. She's still Cassandra, but she's trying to eat hot dogs, do some artwork, drawing dead people. <laughs> she finally smiles when Sam draws the picture of her next to her. I'm, yet, I'm not leaving you, kid. What it, yeah. Do you get the fi Oh my god, this only just occurred to me. I really should have watched the episode with this in mind. 
They are just completely doing aliens. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver looking after Newt. I will never leave you, kid. Uh, God, I hate it. Show must go on. Fourth, okay, so, back on the planet, Teal'c and O'Neill are waiting for the eclipse and chatting about what a black hole is. A giant hole out there, sucking stuff up. Thank you, O'Neill. Daniel wants to take over babysitting duties, but Cassandra's really forming a bond with Samantha Carter, and she, uh, yeah, gets the stabbing heart pains for the first time. We get her checked out in the infirmary, back on Earth, of course. She collapses, code blue, and we have this little intense uh, resuscitation scene with really good... Uh, camera work just right in Fraser and Sam's faces and we listen to her heart and we hear oh my god robot noises in her body give me an x-ray on her chest stat so yeah we hear the sound push and swell one point on Cass- on Carter <laughs> the push and swell is on Carter and then it goes straight to Cassie so it's like a double push and swell but anyway one point for that so, she goes into surgery, and who's performing the surgery? Why, it's Dr. Warner, who has come back from the second episode of the series, The Enemy Within, where he was operating on Major Kowalski. <laughs> so he's the uh, orthopedic surgeon, obviously, who's on call to deal with alien-related uh, surgical matters, and... Anyway, in the surgery, Fraser is assisting, Scope shows the device close up, it's kind of cool, and like a little orb of metal or whatever, they try to probe it, and Cassandra starts to flatline, but then she revives herself. So we we finally get the picture, we finally understand that this device is, like, uh, protecting itself, you can't remove it, and it's just gonna, yeah, fuck her up if we mess with it. So, uh, Cassandra wakes up out of, the, out of the surgery anesthesia with this. Mom? Hey. Okay. Yeah, rub that in our face, why don't you? We get it. Samantha is becoming her surrogate mother. Thank you for that, screenwriters. So, yeah, Samantha has to give her the comfort talk and the hug and do more mothering, and Daniel's outside and he's like, I want to help. You don't have to do this alone. Blah, 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 blah. Why was it Samantha who got saddled with this? Why wasn't Daniel feeling very nice about being a father. Why wasn't Fraser involved right from the start? Why Samantha? Why did it have to be Samantha? It didn't have to be Samantha. Just goddamn screenwriters. So, back on the planet. The exciting episode continues. Tilkin O'Neill, it's showtime for the eclipse. Sam and Daniel have figuring out that the device is a bomb. They do a little test with microscopic particles and it explodes and is gigantic, and of course, because it's NACWD enhanced, we get the get the impression. It's not a direct uh, throwback to the film, but it's kind of similar um, to the film where Ra, you recall, loaded the bomb with uh, our, our ore, he said. The same material the Stargate's made out of. So we, we get it. NACWD, it goes kaboom. Anyway, so Teal'c and O'Neill, we've switched back to the old planet. They're looking through the telescope and they see a starship. And guess what it is? It's a Hatak. And we call it a Hatak. Or do we? Let's listen. It's way too close to be a star. Pull back. What the hell is that? It is a gold attack vessel. 
Goa Ould attack vessel. Now, by consulting Wikipedia on the uh, articles about Goa Ould language, I note that hatak just means attack. <laughs> but anyway, it's, that's the first time we see a hatak. That, that would be the giant pyramid surrounded by the crazy constructions of Nakoda in weird geometric shapes. Which, frankly, let's just stop and talk about that for a second. Frankly, I felt the pyramid alone was cool enough. The pyramid from the film was a cool spaceship, needed the uh, the pyramid to land on. We got it. I think we see a Hatak in the series uh, landed, I think, maybe once or twice. But no, it's not really about the landing on the pyramids anymore. Um... Instead, they kind of got this crazy gray orb, orbly, orbular construction stuff around them. And, yeah, my preference was for the uh, for the earlier model. Anyway, let's move on from the Hatak business. Back on Earth, there's a briefing with General Hammond, and, fi- yeah, finally, we lay the cards on the table. It's a ghoul device designed to slip past their guard and... You know, if we think the girl's in danger from the plague, we take her back with us, and then it activates itself, and then if they try to send her away, it explodes. Anyway, we get a... Oh, there's an establishing shot of Cheyenne Mountain, but there's no guards, so no points there. Um, Sam's like, how could they do this? The first of the emotional wreck that she becomes in this episode. And Teal'c tells us about Nearty. This is a vessel of... Uh, belonging to the gold Nearty. How does he know from light years away? I don't know. <laughs> so, anyway, Nearty, uh, an enemy of Apophis, and apart from Pelops in the episode Brief Candle, this is the only other gold we've heard of, the third. There you go. It's it's no longer just a monotheistic thing, or bi a theist, a duo theist. Now it's a pantheon, a panoply, if you will. Uh, many gods. There we go. Hammond has decided to send Cassandra back through the gate because we figured out that she's a Trojan horse. Yeah, da 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 Get the fuck on with this. The Glyers are attacking Teal'c and O'Neill. <laughs> and Teal'c mentions that Nearty is a male, which I believe is crap because we, f- we meet Nearty. I am 90... 8% certain I'm right about this. Nearty is a woman who holds Jonas Quinn and many others in a gene manipulation uh, device. And that's in season 6, but I think we meet her a bunch of other times before then. So let's just hear Tilt describe her as male. We must get to the start. No argument for me! This girl, Nearty... He once sent an emissary at peace, negotiated a treaty concerning a star being a prophet and taken control of. Yada yada yada, some explanation about the Trojan horse device. But anyway, he definitely said he, this old nerdy, he once did this. And I also turned on the subtitles, and <laughs> it's definitely he. So who's right? Is it. I know it's possible that. Uh, the gold simply took a new host, a female host this time. But there's no mention of that when that comes. When they, you know, I'm pretty sure when they go, ah, Nearty, they recognize her. Anyway, I think there's another episode somewhere along the line where we sort of begin to understand the gold are genderless. Um, so maybe none of this really matters one little bit. So, 
they're about to send Cassie out and they've got her all dressed up and they're dialing gate and Walter's there, of course. Hooray for Walter, five points. But before they can get to Chevron 7 locked, uh, Tjolk and O'Neill are coming through the incoming wormhole. Cassie has collapsed into, into a coma and we get the whole proximity to the gate thing because Tjolk told us all that crap about Nerity having done that trick before. Sending the bomb through the gate is what triggers it. Now, we get a push and swell on Sam once we have this idea um, to go to the other bunker. So that's another point. And we're transporting Cassie there so that she can explode underground and not kill the rest of us. Apparently it's only 20 minutes away, which is like, um, if the bomb is really of that magnitude that we established it, is 20 minutes away really? <laughs> Even by like supersonic jet, is 20 minutes enough? I don't know what it is. So they're transporting her, and I just am so bored. I want this episode to end. Just end. It's 30 minutes in. <sighs> Sam goes down the elevator shaft with Cassandra. Cassandra wakes up, and Sam sits her down, but can't leave, and then cries a lot, and then makes her the promises, I'll never leave you, blah, 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 blah. Get away from her, you bitch! <laughs> uh, Sam leaves to go back up in the elevator, but then has a complete meltdown, changes her mind, goes and sits with her. O'Neill's like, I'm ordering you to come out of there, and she's like, no! Um, it's time for everybody to leave, nobody does, because everybody feels this mothering instinct, and when it's Samantha Carter in danger now too, everyone feels the same. <sighs> Thank you for ramming in our face how attached to each other the team members are on SG-1. Fucking screenwriters on this one, baby. I just want to smack them in the face. So tickety-tock, time's running out, there's a bomb ticking, no bang. Blah, 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 It's a bunch of exposition. We knew, I just knew somehow that it wouldn't go off, and then there's some explanations, and then Janet Fraser told me it wasn't going to happen, and the proximity of the gate said, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? This episode is not compelling. At the most, it could have taken eight minutes. It can't have taken ten. However, that being said... The end of the episode is just the cutest thing ever! <laughs> and I lose my shit. Um, and I wish the episode was just the end. Uh, where they're all walking in the park in the plain clothes, and Daniel and Sam look like a mom and dad with Cassandra. Isn't that the cutest? And uh, Tilk! Tilk is dressed in his human clothes with the hat, so that's ten points. I thought this episode wasn't going to get many, but there it is. Uh, the episode possibly could have gotten those... Uh, 1,432 red shirts. But, yeah, we'll leave that out, because that's just ridiculous. Anyway, back to the end. The cutest dog in the world. Little husky puppy. It's a rule. Every kid has to have a dog. Now, this is just great. I love it. Why couldn't the episode all be like this? <laughs> and then, of course, uh, uh, O'Neill takes the dog away for a moment to, to give Sam and Cassandra just a moment to themselves, and they're like, Tilk, do you know anything about dogs? I do not. Because <laughs> we forget that Tilk hasn't really been fully acclimatized to Earth yet. <sighs> oh my god. Light bulb just appeared over my head because I just put this together. How does um, Tilk not know about dogs if dogs are a part of Egyptian mythology, i.e. Anubis? 
this thing is just rife with errors and jammed together at the seams, and it's an excuse to make Sam go old Terry. And that's all it is. So fuck it. And then the ending, the last line. I, uh... <laughs> we didn't have swings when I was in Toronto. Wink, wink. That's all, folks. <laughs> Fuck you, episode. Alright, now it is the time when I screw up my notes and throw them in the bin. Oh yeah, two points. Um, no, not, not two points for the episode, two, two points for me for getting the hoop. Um, but for the points, I make this episode 19 points, and if it ever comes to a tie break, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I sort of kind of just for the sake of hilarity want to include those 1,432 red shirts. (laughs) But then I'd be counting the death toll on like um, entire planets later on for the sake of um, continuity and keeping it fair. And then we'd be in a real mess. So regretfully I can't do that. Anyway, we're done with the episode. Thank God. Just a reminder that you can email me anything you want to. A little question or a comment or a congratulation or a complaint. And my address is creeyouhu at gmail.com. And that's K-R-E-E-Y-O-O-H-O-O at gmail.com. And don't forget, of course, if you're confused about any anything to do with the scoring, which can be confusing, I grant you, go to my website. It's creeyouhu.wordpress.com. And it's all there, and I'm keeping a scoreboard. So far, the enemy, uh, the enemy within is the top-scoring episode with 36, followed by Children of the Gods at 26, and everything else is way behind. So yeah, the first two episodes of the series still the um, the highest scoring. And as I sort of discussed earlier, does that make them the quote-unquote most classic? If I'm sort of scoring it on these things, which I consider classic SG One. Hmm, I don't know. But anyway, yes, can be confusing, and a lot of the time I have the um, this, the uh, criteria page open while I'm watching the episode just to remind myself, because I record these often weeks apart. Um, I might do three in one day or more <laughs> when I actually sit down to do it, but there is some time in between, and sometimes I need to be reminded. But anyway, we're done, and I'll see you next time for the episode Core Eye.